Well, hey, I want to say a huge welcome to everybody, all of you who are joining us in Greenfield, and say a huge welcome to all you who are joining us in Oak Creek. Hey, next week, uh, we are doing what I think is one of the coolest things that we do as a church. And if it's not number one in my list, it is definitely number two. And all of our campuses, we're going to get to experience and take part of seeing people get baptized. And so what's been cool over the last couple of weeks is that we've had people signing up and people signing up and people signing up. And so next week we, we get to see it and experience it together. And if you're here and if you have not taken the step to be baptized and you, know, you made a decision to follow Jesus but you haven't done it on your own, let me give you the Cliff Notes version of why you should do it. Jesus did it and he commanded us to do it. And so if we follow him, it means we follow what he said, and it's one of the things that he encouraged us to do. And so if you've been kind of on the fence with that whole thing, I want to encourage you next week, uh, take the plunge, get dunked, get baptized, and here's how you sign up. Uh, you can head to this link right here, or you can go to the Next Step area, and uh, there'll be people there that'll help you get signed up, and you can sign up for any service you like. Now, if you've already signed up, I want to encourage you to invite as many people as you can. Uh, this is actually a great uh, time for you to invite people who, who may not be church people and things like that, because we just love to celebrate when, when we see friends take steps. So bring them along, let them cheer with you, and be a part of that as uh, we get to see baptisms next week. Now, many months ago, I was in the market for a new car. And I know some of you, you know, you don't like this process, but I actually really like this process. You know, I love the research part, and I really love the negotiating part. And so I'm, re you know, researching cars for a couple weeks, and I, I, I lock into this really good deal, and, uh, but it's located in Madison. And so I'm thinking, well, I'm going to go to Madison and get this thing. And so I call Forrest, who is actually Pastor Forrest. He's the pastor of our Oak Creek campus. And I call him up, and I say, hey, Forrest. I said, I know you really love the wheeling and dealing with the cars thing. Do you want to go with me? He's like... Yeah, I do. And so hey, I'm thinking, you know, they may say no to this face, but how do you say no to that mug? Now, if you're in Oak Creek, you go, well, we do every week, you know, and I know, and this is why you can see the story ends bad. And so I pick Forrest up, and as we're driving to Madison, we're devising this plan or scheme, more like it, you know, of how we're going to go about this, and we're like, you know, here's how we're going to approach this, and here's the pricing, and, and all this good stuff. Well, as we're driving, we call one of the guys on our staff who had been in the car business for about 30 years, and we tell him our plan, and he looks up this car, because he's got information that, that, that we don't have, and he looks everything up, and he says, uh, yeah, that isn't going to happen. In fact, I will buy you guys both dinner if it does. And we're like, okay, deal, you know? And so we hang up with him. We're like, what does he know, you know? We'll show him and everything like that. So we get to Madison, and, uh, you know, we see the car, and we test drive the car, and we're like, okay, that's it. And so then we sit down, and then we begin unleashing our plan on this poor salesperson. Ten minutes later, we are back in my old car, driving home empty-handed. Now, today, we are in week three of our series called Directionally Challenge, and our entire series is based on this principle that, I, I tell you, that God has really been using uh, in, in my life over the past couple of years, and uh, my prayer is, is that if not recognize it, that he'd begin to use it in yours as well. And this principle is called the principle of the path. And the principle of the path just means this. It means direction, not intention, determines our destination. And so for week one, we focus just completely on this whole idea of direction determines destination, that in every arena of life, that the direction that we choose ultimately determines where we end up. And then last week, we talked about this huge disconnect that we experience. 
And this disconnect is between you know, what we intend to do and where we end up. Because intention doesn't determine destination, which is hard for us because you know, when we, we start out on things, we all have good intentions. But as we learned last week, it is direction, not intention, that determines our destination. Now today what we're going to do is we are going to focus on this word right here, direction. Because when we're, when we're wrestling through making a decision, here's something that all of us ask. We ask this, okay, well, how do I pick the right direction? Or, you know, you may say it this way. You may say, okay, well, how do I pick the right direction so I end up at the right destination? Because the wrong direction or the wrong path, if we choose that, that could cost us. That could cost us years of our life. That could cost us our, our, our family. That could cost us a relationship with our kids. Uh, that could cost us our health. That could cost us financial freedom. That could cost us an experiencing an opportunity that God has for us. And so there is a lot at stake here. Now, as we talk about this, I just want to warn you, this is not easy stuff. I wish it were, but it's not easy. You see, the challenge is, is that when we're making decisions right now, the choices are now but the outcomes are later. You know, we want them to be immediate, but they're usually not immediate. But this, the reason why this is so important is because the decisions that we make now will determine our future. And we don't like to think about this because when we're making decisions, it's like all we can see is the present. All we can see is the moment. We don't connect the now to our later, but the reality is all of our futures are nothing more than a string of nows. You know, as I was thinking about this whole thing, I was thinking, you know, wouldn't it be great if someone created an app, like a decision-making app, you know? And there's this, okay, there's a decision I need to make. It's like, okay, uh, should I date this person? Should I get engaged? Should I move out? Should I get married? Should I take that job? Should I move? Should I invest there? You know, should I buy this? That there's, that there's this place where we enter our information. And so there's, okay, here's the decision I need to make. And here are my options. And then the thing just kind of spits it out. And it would say, okay, when 18,000 people did this, this was the outcome. Or when 1,000 people did this, there's the outcome. Or here's the outcome. Now, wouldn't that be great? No. The problem that we would have with that, I know I would, is that we probably wouldn't take the app's advice. Now, let, let me ask you a question. How many of you know somebody who is really, really smart, yet they've made a really dumb decision? How many of you? Come on, just be honest. Be honest. Okay, now just keep your hands up for, for a minute. Just keep your hands up for a minute. I know, I know it's tired and all that stuff. I get it. Okay, now let's be real honest because we're all close friends here. All right, we're all close friends. How many of you are that person? Yeah, all the hands went down. All right, I appreciate that. Now see, here's what I know about all of us. Most of the bad decisions that we make had nothing to do with lack of information. I mean, surely there, there are a few exceptions here or there and all that stuff. But the reality is my bad decisions and your bad decisions had nothing to do with lack of information. You know, maybe for some of you, you met with a financial planner. And they sat down with you and they just kind of mapped out, you know, financial plan for the future and had graphs and charts and all this stuff. And they put it in a nice little booklet, you know, and then they gave it to you and you walked out of there and you went home and you put it in a file and you, you put it in the folder. Now, you have no idea where that stinking thing is, you know, and you never have conversations like, hey, honey, are we still going on with that plan and all that stuff? You know, you don't even know where it is. 
You know, it's not that you don't have the information, you just ignore it. Or maybe for, for some of us, we had a doctor's appointment, and the doctor's like, okay, here's what I want you to do, and everybody in the room, they're nodding in agreement. They're like, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, we're going to do that, going to do that, your girlfriend or wife's taking notes, you know, and there and all that stuff. And so, you know, you go home, and you begin to put this into practice. But then a holiday hits, or, you know, you go on vacation, and it just kind of derails the whole thing. And here's the thing, you know you need to eat better, you know you need to exercise, but you don't. Why? Information? No. You see, our problem isn't a lack of information. Our problem is something so much bigger than that. Now, today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few verses that will help us wrestle with this tension. And these verses are written by Solomon. If you were here last week, we actually looked at his story briefly last week. And if you don't know who Solomon is, Solomon was actually the third king of Israel. He was the son of King David. And Solomon, because of his story, has a very unique perspective of what, we, what we're talking about here today. You see, there was a point in Solomon's life where his father David died. And then Solomon, at a very young age, becomes the king of a very large nation. And so here is Solomon. He gets us, as I said, at a very young age. And not only that, he becomes king, and he has to replace his father, who is a very popular king. And not only that, he has the responsibility to build their first ever temple, which for them was a huge responsibility. And then he has the responsibility knowing that the decisions that he makes will have an impact on hundreds of thousands of people. Well, one day, God communicates with Solomon through a dream. And here's what God says to Solomon. He says, hey, ask for whatever you want me to give you. He says, Solomon, whatever you want. You want a long life? It's yours. You want a lot of money? I'm going to give it to you. Hey, you want me to get rid of all the enemies, all the problems in your life? Done. But here's how Solomon responds. He says this. He says, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. And so he says, I am so overwhelmed with the burden of of leading this nation, and I've got to make decisions that I, I don't have any clue how to make this decision. And so here's what I want. I want wisdom. I want the ability to discern right path versus wrong path. And so here's how God responds to him. He says, since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I'll do what you have asked. I'll give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor Will there ever be? And so God promises to make Solomon the wisest person that has ever lived. And he's in the process, and he actually goes into the process of doing that. Now, the reason this is so practical for us is that if there was ever a person who was able to say, all right, God, thank you for all the information. Thank you for the wisdom. You know, thank you for the common sense. I got this. I can kind of go on my own without you. It's our guy Solomon. But when Solomon begins to address the question, how do we know the right path to choose? He doesn't say anything about information. Here's what he says instead. He says this. He says, trust in the Lord. Now trust. Here's what we know about trust. Trust is relational. And many of us, and I'm part of the many of us, when we approach God, we say, all right, God, I've got this decision to make. Would you give me an answer? Give me, give me an answer. And you know what? It's great to ask God. We're encouraged to ask God. And if you're asking God for something, you continue to do that. 
But Solomon says, and Jesus would later reiterate the same thing, that God is inviting us into a process that is more than transactional. It's relational. And then he says, trust in the Lord. According to Solomon, the answers of life and to life are not more information. The answers of life are actually found in God himself who has invited us to depend on him. And so to choose the right path, it starts with daily trusting in God. And then he says, not just trusting God anywhere, with all your heart. Now, if you've been around here a period of time, you know, you've heard us talk about the heart, that the Jewish idea of the heart was this was the the center of the person. This is where all the feelings were. This is where all the emotions are. Now, what's interesting about this is Solomon says, he doesn't say, trust in the Lord with all your head. Why not? Well, here's why. If you think back to a time in your life where you said, I should have seen that coming, why didn't you see it coming? Because Solomon says, and experience tells us that our heart, not our head, has the potential to blind us. And so we think about that decision, you know, we had enough information to make the decision, but there was at some point in that decision where our heart got involved, where we had feelings and emotions that got involved. And as a result, our heart said to our head, I want that. And so there was a tug of war between the two of them, and guess who usually wins the tug of war of heart and head? Our heart does. And so what Solomon says here is so helpful, because we all have a story where we ended up in the wrong place. And the reason we ended up in the wrong place isn't because we trusted God. In fact, (laughs) if we're honest, God had little or nothing to do with it. We trusted in something or someone else, and as a result, we ended up where we didn't want to be. And so Solomon wisely says, hey, listen, why not choose to trust God? who knows more, who sees the big picture, who is worth trusting. And then he adds to this. He says, and lean not on your own understanding. Now this phrase literally means to prop something up against something else. You know, our tendency in making decisions is to rely solely on our past experience and the way we see the world. You know, this plays out in our lives all the time. We're in a conversation with someone, and they're asking for our advice, and we go, oh, yeah, 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 hey, listen, hey, the way I would handle that here, or I've always done this, or we give our opinion, and we don't even listen to what we're saying, what they're saying, and why is that? Because our tendency is to so heavily lean into our knowledge, and lean into our worldview, lean into the books that we read, and the shows that we watch, and the podcasts that we listen to. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't be wiser this year than than last year based on our life experience. And that's not to say that we shouldn't gather information from from books and and shows and, you know, podcasts we listen to. I mean, I do that, and that's part of it. But what Solomon says is he says, don't make the mistake of when choosing the right paths of life to think, you know what, I'm smart enough, I'm wealthy enough, I'm cool enough, I know enough of leaning into our own understanding. I was 24 when when Donna and I got married, and she was living in Wisconsin at the time. I was living in Florida, and so the plan was is that uh, I would go up to Wisconsin, we would get married, and then I would move her down 
to Florida. And so as we were getting ready for our wedding, I had some, some people that were close to me, people that I trusted. They had great marriages. They, they were following Jesus that they, would try, they were trying to speak into this whole process as we're preparing for marriage. And so I had people say to me, they said, listen, this is going to be a big move for Donna. She's never lived out of the state, you know, and so now you're moving her out of the state, and you're, you're moving her to Florida, so, you know, big change for her. And, you know, Mark, you've never lived with someone, and so this is going to be a big change for you, and so there's all these moving parts. Here's what you need to do. You need to prepare before and afterwards for all these moving parts. Now, here's what was great about it. I listened to everything that they said, and, and I walked away from it and going, I'm 24. I know what I'm doing. I don't need your advice. Three months into our marriage, it could have been three weeks, you know, it probably should have been three weeks, but three months, and I'll always remember this morning, and Donna will always remember this morning, we both get up, and things were so bad for us. We looked at each other, and we said, I think we made a mistake. Maybe we shouldn't be married anymore. What happened? I leaned on my own understanding. And we do this, we all do, and we do it all the time. It's like this, you know what, I know how to parent because I was a kid at one time, as if that qualifies us to be a parent, you know, when you think about it. You know, I know how to have a great marriage even though I've never been married or, or have been in a healthy marriage. Hey, I know how to manage my finances well because I make the money. You know, I know how to make career decisions even though I have never made career decisions for myself. I know how to work out a great deal with a car because I have Forrest with me. <laughs> now, here's, here's what Solomon says is the starting point for choosing the right path. You see, direction doesn't begin with a search for direction, which is what we often do. Direction begins with submission. Submission always precedes direction. That's why Solomon said, trust in the Lord. Hey, God, I'm going to trust you with Hey, God, up front, I'm going to defer to you before I defer to me or anyone else. And then he builds on this idea, and he says this. In all your ways, in all your ways. Now, notice, no wiggle room there, and I kind of wish that there was some wiggle room. I mean, this is not, Solomon's like, this is not like a buffet where we go, okay, I'm going to pick that one, but not that one, and not that way, and this way, and I'm going to kind of pick and choose. Solomon goes, no, in every arena of our lives, in all our ways, submit to him. Now, most translations, instead of using submit, they use the word acknowledge. Now, unfortunately, the word acknowledge doesn't pack a whole lot of punch in our culture today. You know, most of us have probably been at an event where uh, someone got up to speak, and maybe it was a famous person, maybe it wasn't a famous person. And uh, they began their speech, and they said, hey, I, I acknowledge so-and-so for. And when Solomon is talking about acknowledge, he's not talking about, okay, we're just going to give God just like a token tip of the hat or something like that. When he talks about knowledge, acknowledge, he means this. He means to recognize who God is, and then respond accordingly. Hey, I'm going to recognize who God is. You know, when I look at the equation of this whole thing and me and God, i got to be honest with you. You know, God's a little bit bigger, probably knows a little bit more than I do. He's probably more powerful than I am, probably sees things that I don't. So as a result of who God is, it only makes sense that my response is, I'm going to trust him with all my ways. And then listen to what Solomon says. He gives this great promise 
that we will experience if we do this. And here's the promise. And he, as a result of, and he will make your paths straight. He will make our paths clear. We will know what path to take. We will know the direction we should go. Now, at first glance, it's easy to kind of look at this right here and go, oh, okay. You know, if we trust in God, you know, he'll make the path straight, whichever path we choose. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying he will make the best path obvious to us. But before we can experience the promise, our part is this. Direction begins with submission. That we have to be willing to defer to God before ourselves and anyone else first. And then Solomon closes with this command. He says this. He says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear, and that's another word for submit, fear the Lord and shun evil. Well, well, don't be wise. Now, why would Solomon say don't be wise? Because if we're honest, we all think we're wiser than what we really are, you know? I mean, we read this thing, and we're like, okay, Solomon, listen. <laughs> it's a couple thousand years ago. Solomon, I just want to let you know, we've got Google today. And Solomon, we don't have, we don't have wisdom. We have smartphones. And smartphones are so much better. In fact, Solomon, we have YouTube. If I have a decision, man, I can just go on YouTube and type it out, and someone will tell me what to do right there. Now listen, technology is great. It gives us valuable information, but it doesn't make our paths straight. And so Solomon says, hey, listen, I know you're smart, and I know you have access to, to all this technology and all that stuff, but don't be fooled into thinking you can lean into your own understanding and not eventually end up in the wrong place in life. Lean into God. Trust in God, and over time, he'll make our paths straight. Now, here's what's great about, about who wrote this. He didn't follow it. And do you know why? He had all this resources. He had all this wisdom. He had all this money. In fact, you know, the amount of money that he had, he made Warren Buffett look like he was broke. I mean, he had all this money, but he lacked in one area. Do you know what that one area is? Submission. And so there was this one area of his life where Solomon kind of reached this point where he decided, you know what, I'm going to lean into my own understanding. And you know what that area is? It's a common one. He had a flawed sense of logic when it came to his choice of women. Can I get an amen? Okay, I didn't think I was going to get an amen really for women. Okay, and so let me tell you how the story went. The story went like this. Here's what happened. So when God established the nation of Israel... He, he, made a, he gave him a command, he gave the, and then he said, all men, and this included the kings, you can't marry foreign women. And this command was especially true with kings, and, and this was true for a few reasons. One, as the king goes, so the nation goes. I mean, it's kind of like it is. You know, as, as the leader goes, so does the organization. Now, when we hear something like that, we think, that's so restrictive. That is so exclusive. But God put this in place for the benefit of all parties. Let's just say you live in Milwaukee and you want you and your entire family for the rest of your life to be hardcore Milwaukee Brewer fans. And you've got to jump on it. You know, you've painted your house Milwaukee Brewer colors and you've got the logo on the roof, you know, and you've got these speakers all around the house, you know, so when the Brewers are on, the whole neighborhood's got to hear the game, you know, they're hearing Bob Euchre and everyone else. And you've got Christian Yelich statues all along the front of the yard and all this stuff. I mean, you know, you've already got a big jump. 
Now, if you want that to be true in your life, should you marry a Cubs fan? So, if you want to stay committed to following God, the best thing you can do for you and the other person is travel with someone who's going in the same direction. Now, the second, the second reason for this, the second reason for this is that it was a common practice for kings to marry foreign wives from nearby nations, especially hostile ones, because it would just provide a sense of protection for them. And God, God was like, I don't want any of my leaders to rely on foreign nations for protection. I want them to rely on me. But Solomon decided to lean on his own understanding. And as a result, he opted for a path that would divide his heart and his loyalties. If you read Solomon's story, you'll see he married a bunch of women who didn't follow God. And then as he got older, he stopped following God. You see, he chose not to trust in the Lord and instead lean on his own understanding. And as a result, it cost him and it divided the entire nation. So what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is this. Information is not enough. Wisdom is not enough. Insight and experience is not enough. We all need God. We don't need more information. We need a Savior. We don't need more common sense. We need a Heavenly Father. And the wisest person who has ever lived took one area of his life and chose to do it on his own. And as a result, he abandoned God. And it had took a toll on himself and the people he led. So I want to close with two questions. And as we look at these two questions, I am hoping that you'll heed Solomon's advice, not his actions. All right? So this is one of those few times, you know, what they say but not what they do sort of thing is, is okay to do. So here's, here's the first question. Do I acknowledge God in all my ways? Do I acknowledge God in all my ways? Now, if, you, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, this doesn't pertain to you. But, but, but if you're a Christian, here's what most of us do. We acknowledge God in the ways of our lives that we have no control over. Because we have no control over it, so it doesn't really matter all that much. You know, like the idea of salvation. I mean, how much control do you have when you die? It's like, hmm, zero, you know? And it's like, okay, God, well, I'm going to give you control over things that I have no control over. And we say, okay, God, I give you control over this. And God's going, wow, I am so impressed with your faith. Thank you so much for giving me control over something you don't have any control over anyways. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, for most of us, our, our, our spiritual journey looks something like this. It's Jesus has control over the things that we don't have control over, but he has little or no control over the things we can control. Now, as we look at this question, as we look at this question, taking out all the things in our lives that we don't have control over anyways, do I acknowledge God in all those other things? In your dating life, your morality, in your marriage, your parenting, your future, your finances, do you acknowledge him? Have you given and surrendered control to your heavenly father? And here's the thing. We want to do this. This is where following Jesus gets fun. And this is where it gets real. This is where it gets practical. We lean on ourselves or we lean on God. Now, I want us to do an exercise together. 
And I think this is the first time in the history of the Ridge I've, I've ever asked uh, you to do this. And so, Oak Creek, I want you to do this as well. Okay, I want everybody to stand up for a minute, okay, if you're able to stand up, all right? So I want everybody to stand. And we're going to do what is called the lean test, okay? L-E-A-N, the lean test. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to lean forward in the chair in front of you. Now, if you're in the front row, here's the really cool thing. I mean, you're in the front row, so you don't have to do this because you know you got this down already because you can just pretend. All right, I want you to lean, lean on the chair in front of you. And listen, don't pretend. I know some of you are like this, you know. No, 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 no. Lean so hard that if someone pulled away the chair, you're doing a facial. All right? So, so lean, okay, lean, 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 lean. Okay. Lean on God. Submit to God. Lean on God. This is where, as you're leaning, this is where we deal with a different kind of tension in our life. This is where when we go to bed, we go, man, I cannot believe this. I cannot believe this. I can't believe I'm going to do this, but this is what God said to do, but I'm going to do it anyways. And this is where, when we lean like this, this is where God becomes real to us. Because it's here, when we're leaning so hard on God, we fall if God moves. And then, when God doesn't fall, we experience God's peace and his power and his provision and his strength and all the other things that God wants to give us. Okay, you're, you can stop leaning now. I'm going to have everybody sit down for a minute. Thanks for participating in that. But, you know, just think about this. Who are you leaning on for your marriage, for your dating life? Did you parent your kids? You know, for some of you, the college that you're going to pick, as you look at your future, where that's going to go and all that stuff, who are you leaning on? And if we don't rely on God, eventually we are going to lean on ourselves, and knowingly or unknowingly, we're going to get to a place where we choose a path where we end up in the wrong place. And here's the thing. God's not going to be mad at us. He's going to be brokenhearted, and he'll be there with us. But it all could have been avoided if we had just said up front, okay, God, I acknowledge you in all my ways. Now, here's the second question. Second question is this. Why am I so afraid to lean on God in these areas? Why am I so afraid? Now, right here, this is the heart, the heart of it all right here. And this is why for, for many of us, we have good intentions about taking steps with God, but we don't take steps with God. We, there's a fear that is preventing us from taking those steps. And let me tell you what a big part of that fear is. You know, a root of that fear is this. We think that God wants something from us, that God's going to take something from us, and as a result, there's going to be less of us. But listen, God loves you. And I know we throw that around all over the place, but you know, here's what that means. God is the very essence of what love is, meaning no one loves you more than God, and no one loves you in the way that God can love you. And so he doesn't want something from us. He wants something for us because love always wants something for us. And one of the things that he wants for us is that whatever a decision is, he wants to make our paths clear. But surrender always comes before direction. And so would you be willing, as you kind of look at this question, would you be willing to figure this thing out? And I'm not asking you to do anything with it. I'm just asking you to go, all right, God, why is this so hard for me? Why am I so afraid? And in asking these questions and wrestling with these questions, I'm hoping that maybe some of you, maybe starting today, but maybe it'll happen next week before we get together again, 
that for some of you, you have this moment where you go, you know what? Why am I having such a hard time with this? And you know what, God? I want to start acknowledging you in all my ways. And I don't know what this means, and I don't know where this is heading, but I'm going to surrender it to you because I know as I go through life, I want you to make my paths straight. So here's what Solomon says. He says, okay, here's how you do that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Literally, lean into God rather than lean into ourselves. And in all your ways, surrender to him. And he will make your paths straight. In other words, in other words, he will make the right direction obvious. And as a result, because we go in the right direction, we will end up in the right destination. So here's what I want us to do as we kind of wrap things up. We're going to have a time of, of, of just kind of beginning this process of really praying about this whole thing. And then when, when I'm done praying, I want us to continue in, in a spirit of prayer by, by just standing together, and we're going to sing a couple of lines of that song that we just learned because that song is all about surrender. You hear the line, take everything, take everything, take everything. It's just, it's just the song's way of saying, okay, God, I acknowledge you in all my ways. And so as we sing that, let that be your prayer before you leave today. Now, as I pray, as I, as I pray, as I pray, there's this image of surrender that is just so common. We've done it here before. It's kind of like when we're not surrendered, it's kind of like closed fists, whatever that is, closed fists, closed fists, closed fists. And then when we say, okay, God, I acknowledge you in all my ways, I open up my fists. This is hard. This gets tiring. We're tense. And we're like, okay, God. So as I pray, I want you to think about that area where you're not acknowledging him in all your ways. And then would you just go, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Okay, God, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to take the step. And just in your heart, in your mind, just see that hand open up and release that to God. Let me pray for us. Father, um, this is a daily, daily thing that we do. And um, we all come in here with areas in our lives where uh, we, we got the fist closed. We all do, because this is a journey. And um, I thank you for the words of Solomon. Jesus would talk about this later. Where the best road to take, best path to take, the starting place is to open up our hands and to go, okay, God, okay, God, I'm going to give it all to you. I'm going to surrender these areas of my life to you. And God, there's fear there. There's fear there. But God, would you help us to just take a step in whatever area that is in our life? And would we experience strength and peace and your provision, your power in our lives? God, um, as we walk through this life, the great thing is, is that you want to make our paths clear. <laughs> it's part of your heart. You love us that much. But God, we know we got to do our part. we got to be willing to step in. So help us, God, in those areas where we struggle to do just that.